I speak to you in the name of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. My first memory is of fire, of candles, actually, at midnight mass when I was not yet three years old. For the whole of my life, I have found fire mesmerizing, whether in the candles I would eventually light myself as an acolyte, or the fire at our campsite that my family would gather around to tell stories late into the night, or the fire pit my husband John and I bought to have on our patio through these years of pandemic. Yes, I know the danger. And as a cautious and rule-following kid, now grown up to be a cautious and rule-following adult, I am careful about the details. Candles duly extinguished, fire fully doused. If I walk into a room, though, and there are candles burning, I am drawn to them. If there's a fire in the fireplace, I'll be somewhere nearby. So it's not shocking to me that God would use fire to get people's attention. It makes sense that someone would notice. And a fire that doesn't act like a normal fire, one that continues to burn without catching the other bushes nearby, doesn't burn through any part of the wilderness or down the whole parched mountain of Horeb, well, that is something I would find fascinating. The whole of Moses' life story has unfolded in rapid succession in the single chapter before the text that is today's first reading. We knew, heading into chapter 2 of the book of Exodus, that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, did not know Joseph, that he had it out for the male Israelite children. Chapter 2 moves quickly from Moses' birth and concealment and rescue through the water to his killing of an Egyptian, his escape to Midian, then marriage to Zephorah, and the birth of their son. Through it all, scripture tells us, the people of Israel groaned under their bondage. Through it all, they cried out for help. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. Now, at the beginning of today's Old Testament reading, Moses is taking care of his father-in-law's sheep on the west side of the wilderness when he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. He sees an angel of God within the fire in the midst of a bush, a bush which is not burnt up by those flames. I will turn aside at this great sight, Moses says. See why this bush is not burnt. For a number of years, the author, Cheryl Strayed, was the responder of an advice column, the sugar behind dear sugar. I'm not sure advice column is even really the right term for it, but that's the best way that I have to describe people sharing their precious and sometimes devastating details of their lives and asking for help. 
as the sugar of dear sugar, Cheryl Strayed responded with honesty and kindness and care, sometimes with pieces of her own life that resonated with the pieces of the lives that had been shared with her. In his introduction to the book, Tiny Beautiful Things, that collect this series of letters and their replies, Sugar's original co-author wrote this about her. She understands that attention is the first and final act of love, and that the ultimate dwindling resource in the human arrangement isn't cheap oil or potable water or even common sense, but mercy. Attention is the first and final act of love. As a preacher, I have tended to engage this text by mo focusing on Moses turning aside. He notices a thing that is really not normal, and he does something particular about it. That is true. But what strikes me about this passage, this time, is God's attention to Moses in the first place and the dance of their exchange. Yes, there's the bush and the angel, but God presents God's own self to Moses here, which is not something the divine normally does, certainly not in the Old Testament. This holy call and response continues to unfold. Because God heard the people Israel, God remembered the holy covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This holy call and response continues again. Because Moses saw the burning bush, Moses turned aside. Who am I, he asks, when God says that Moses will bring the people Israel out of bondage in Egypt? I will be with you, God responds. Moses does as God commands, and God is faithful to the Holy Covenant. I wish I could say that this meant people didn't suffer. I wish I could say that after that point, everything was better. But you know the story. Beautiful and devastating things happen. Miracles and heartbreak and redemption all follow. Does it feel to you like the world is on fire right now? It's a different kind of thing than what Moses saw on that holy mountain. These flames do threaten to consume. This fire does destroy. In the days leading up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I could hardly look at anything other than the news. In the days since, the images persist parents getting their children to safety and then returning to learn how to fight, nuns trying to help their elderly sisters to the safety of a convent in Poland, a mother and her child and the man shepherding their evacuation, all three of them killed by mortar fire, a priest and a small group of people celebrating mass in a bunker. The devastation this fire wreaks is twofold. 
both harming and displacing and killing innocent people, and also seeking to suffocate hope, theirs and ours, by laying siege to cities, by bombing a maternity hospital, a shelter, by targeting the very people who are trying to flee. That quote from Tiny Beautiful Things comes back to me again, that the ultimate dwindling resource in the human arrangement isn't cheap oil or potable water or even common sense, but mercy. We've heard a lot of discussion in these last days about oil that is anything but cheap, a cost we bear in an attempt to apply pressure toward ending this war. And safe drinking water? Well, people in Ukraine are melting snow right now. Mercy, though. Mercy is not a word I have heard from journalists or government officials, though I am grateful to hear it sung by our choir this morning. Mercy, which means kindness, which means compassion and blessing, is it true that mercy is the ultimate dwindling resource in this arrangement for us all? It has become an act of recognition now to say to people or to groups of people, I see you. It has become an act of appreciation to say, I feel seen. Our souls cannot afford to be distracted from this moment. We cannot look away and remain who we are. But the danger of being consumed is real. This fire burns, and we must hold fast, train our gaze with mercy, and remain prepared, ever prepared, to give an account of the hope that is within us. At the moment when Moses turned aside to see about that burning bush, I have to believe that God's attention was firmly fixed on him. In that first act of love, Moses offered God his own attention in response. What came of that divine connection, even through times of devastation and beauty and heartbreak, even over the course of a very long time, through a very big wilderness, was deliverance. I don't know where the burning bush is today, but I trust that God is faithful, that God hears the voices of people as they cry out, that God remembers the Holy Covenant. I believe that God's eyes are fixed on the people of Ukraine and everywhere who are running for their lives or shielding their babies or mourning the deaths of those they love. I pray that we will notice and turn aside and offer the love of our attention in return. Amen.